back just when you thought that we were gone forever into the void of space. Uh, but no, we're back. We're back. Uh, it's been two months uh, and the world has kind of looked different now. I mean, you know, we're able to go to places again. I could go to the, you know, the Sounders game. I could go to the Mariners game and not have to wear a mask, the vaccinated sections. I mean, that's, that's just my personal experience there, but it's been great. It's been awesome. It's been interesting. The weather's getting nicer, so on and so forth. But of course, this world is freaking crazy, and that's why we're on this podcast to talk about that sort of stuff. Anyway, Sean, how has the last two months been for you? Last two months have been good. Gone really quick, uh, but I mean, it's it's been a good two months. Like you, I've gotten a chance to get out and see the world a little bit more, spend some time with family. Uh, so yeah, the world the world is a, a change in place. That it is, and that's kind of just hopefully just keep on riding right into the into the into the summer here, and yeah, and just keep going, and you know, and hopefully hopefully the world the rest of the world uh, improves as well, um, because there are some crises happening throughout the world with this virus still, and just because the pandemic may look like it's starting to come to end here, it is a different reality elsewhere. So, yeah, inequity definitely raising its ugly head around the world. I mean, you're seeing. Uh, poorer countries around the world still having increased death tolls and, and those kind of things. So we can relish in it as we come into summer here in the U.S. and vaccine rates continue to climb, although slower now than uh, in the beginning. But you're absolutely right that if we don't uh, continue to take care of the rest of the world and especially the poorer parts of the world, uh, this is never going to go away and we'll continue to be in crisis on a regular basis. Yeah. Speaking of crisis, um, what a, you have a little piece of a story to tell us here, Sean. You really... That was quite the transition, man. We're right back in it. You got the transitions down. Speaking of a crisis, Damn. let's talk about the fucking Sacklers. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So my, my favorite topic is the drug lords that are the Sacklers. Here recently, the uh, judge overseeing the bankruptcy case uh, for uh, Purdue Pharma uh, said that that case was uh, legit, that the terms were uh, legal. And so all of a sudden, the Sackler family, the largest and most successful drug lords in the history of the world, uh, now have bankruptcy protection, which means they can no longer be sued in civil court. They can no longer uh, be held accountable for uh, the damages done by their company. And they get to keep billions of dollars that they made by peddling Oxycontin to the world and giving us the opioid crisis. So thank you, white America, for that beautiful story. What wankers. What fucking wankers. <laughs> it's just just to sum it up, right? Money in politics, gotta, you know, God's sakes, and just another example of of white privilege and the upper class privilege, all that. Um, bending laws, bending uh, anything in their favor, and there you have it. The rich get away with it, and the poor suffer those consequences. Yeah, and I mean the the amount the amount of damage done by the Sackler family, Oxycontin, uh, and and all the folks that contributed to that process. Right? I mean, it wasn't just uh, Purdue Pharma. There there were many uh, wholesalers and uh, distributors that were a part of this process. 
but for the Sacklers to be able to get away with this in, in such a blatant way when you've killed tens of thousands of people every year uh, because of your marketing practices, um, it, it really is just sickening. And I, I think that we are decades away uh, from even getting close to back to where we were at uh, pre-Purdue Pharma in terms of people dying from opioid use. Yeah, until the issue, and really until the issue of money and politics is addressed, can we you know, move forward and, and really uh, have impact on the opioid crisis? But like you said, it's only continuing and getting worse yet again. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just don't see any significant change uh, coming. And, and you know, it, it really is uh, amazing to me that we sit and watch um, the poor, uh, people of color, all being disproportionately impacted and all doing more time behind bars uh, for holding this product or pushing a few pills on the street versus these uh, fucking kingpins that sit atop billions of dollars having no real consequences whatsoever. Um, it, it just shows where we're at as a nation and, and why so many people uh, continue uh, to want to protest and stand up against uh, the fiscal inequality in this country. Speaking of inequality, it kind of goes right into our topic as well. Uh, these issues with, with the upper class and, and you know, victimizing the, uh, the lower, lower class with, uh, in this case though, with social, social media, the ills of social media. Yeah, there's, there's definitely uh, growing inequality that we can see uh, in social media. I can see the connection there. And it is definitely uh, the downfall of modern society. Uh, I think in, in a lot of ways, uh, what we've talked about many times on this pod before around kind of this just we're going to troll everybody all the time um, is a reflection of our interaction within the social media space. Uh, it is a reflection of the idea that we can hide behind a keyboard or be semi-anonymous uh, in spaces and say things that we would have never said, nor would they have been socially tolerated in the past. And all of a sudden, um, they're not only okay in your, your DMs, but now they've bled out into our political discourse. Yeah, and you bring up that the factor of hiding behind the keyboard, and that's just quite literally what it is when it comes to this issue. But it's also the platforms that are allowing this to continue and our, our governments allowing it to continue. And not to mention so many other things like, uh, the, you know, the mining of data of, of people and on online, online in general, but especially social media, you're, you know, it's the big brother, like we were talking about just before the big brother dystopian sort of society that we are kind of uh, are in. <laughs> I think the, the big brother idea is is one that I feel is really uh, meaningful in this conversation. You know, if you look back at kind of the thought police and this idea that we were all being watched through technology that that's really where we're at if you look at how social media companies uh facebook obviously being uh kind of the behemoth uh how they track our data uh, watching what we watch 
labeling us and identifying kind of our purchasing ability and power, our political stance, all of those things um, are identified within within that platform. And, you know, when you when you look at kind of the Orwellian picture of the future, uh, we're there. It may not have been on a TV screen in our living room. However, for a lot of people, it is on the primary screen that they're paying attention to anymore, um, which is the phone that's in their pocket uh, that follows them around. So I don't I don't think that the Orwellian thought process was that you were literally going to just put the tracking device in your pocket. I mean, we, we're there. Big Brother is with us and uh, they know everything we're doing. They fucking send me a report in my email on a regular basis of, oh, here's your geo sites for the month. Oh, fucking thanks, Google. Only a little creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Only a little creepy. And not to mention there is that, you know, drawing the parallels with 1984 and we could go on and on and on about that too. But there's the uh, thought police aspect as well. It's like, it, it, how dare you ever speak up to these uh, these companies like Facebook, of course, and even, you know, Twitter with how dare you challenge big brother how dare you speak up to us and 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 our practices you know there's there's that sort of like group think with them as well so yeah we could yeah definitely go on and on with the parallels but well and i i was just going to add into the idea of kind of big brother government and and politicians in particular not necessarily government but uh, the people within our government are, are utilizing these platforms as well in, in ways to manipulate how we vote, to uh, orchestrate kind of um, conspiracies, if you will, to, to act as um, hype men, really, um, for the ways in which they want to, to push an agenda. And if you, if you look at Facebook in particular, Republicans are constantly whining and complaining about social media, limiting conservative voices. But when research is done into what voices get the most amplification uh, on Facebook in particular, the the largest social media site there is, those are conservative voices. Uh, and so we, we really are getting this false narrative about who and what uh, the, the social media companies are supporting. And, and I think, as you look at these larger companies, they they play the, the game better than anybody else uh, because now they have conservatives in an uproar about cutting Trump out of their platforms. But the truth is, conservative voices still reign uh, on most of these platforms uh, in terms of pushing out false narratives and the big lie. Yeah, I think like you were saying, there is uh, study after study has shown that it has not been uh, conservative voices who have been canceled, right? Uh, That it was, you know, that Zuckerberg has gone right along with it. And it just makes you think like, geez, man, like, do do you agree? Do you agree with Donald Trump? Do you agree with, are you a right winger? And that's, you know, like, I mean, it's okay in his personal life, but not when it's not when it's influenced like this. You know, yeah, and so. Zuckerberg is just a piece of shit, right? I mean, the, the guy stole the whole platform in the first place. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, him and Sean Parker. Yeah, I, I mean, leave so it to Sean Parker, right? Let's let's not think that the guy is good in any way, shape, or form. He, like most men who have 
immense amounts of wealth and power are are not giving a shit about you and me like that we are the last people they care about and in the case of zuckelberg and other folks when it comes to social media sites the truth is we are the commodity they have turned us into the commodity that they are selling and so uh, quite literally, they see us as the dollar signs and not as human beings of any value other than uh, for what they can sell of ours. They are selling our value. Oh, yeah. And you see that. So so we were talking about that just before we got on here. There's that documentary called The Social Dilemma on Netflix. And, and really, you know, anybody listening, you got to check that out. But yeah, that's that characterizing that documented characterize exactly what you're saying that we're just we're kind of just pumped these things like on and on and on like hey push that put you know these these uh, uh automated you know networks or whatever they've gone beyond us we, we cannot control it anymore and it's one motive is to maximize profit by taking in what what our behaviors are and and that's that's just what it is and they just you know kind of push push this button here push that button there see what gets your attention send a notification there send a notification there here and yeah and they will just track track our behavior and it only leads to the dollar sign for them yeah and it i mean it really is impressive how um how much psychology plays into what these social media sites are doing i mean um, you, you talk about they want to capture as much of our data as possible, and they really do that through um, getting us on our device as much as possible. And so uh, developing structures in which uh, they are addicting us, literally addicting us to um, the product that they're giving us. And they do that through recreating reward systems, um, much like gambling, and, and really playing with uh, the idea of kind of social connectedness through, you know, how many likes did I get? And my value is being based on those likes. And so if I post a picture and, you know, it only gets 10 likes, well, I'm just a piece of shit. And what's going on with me? I never um, had 10 and, likes. And what why are you don't talking people about? like me? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is real stuff. And they're, they're fucking with our dopamine, right? Like that. And they know what they're doing. It's not like this is hidden information. Uh, they are they are literally playing with the same parts of our brain um, that the Sackler family was playing with to make their billions. Right? They're they're fucking with the same basic function of our brain uh, to ensure that they get us connected to that phone as much as possible. Which then means they collect more data about us that can be sold. Uh, and again, just creating us as the commodity. Uh, not to mention creating. Um, kind of these false narratives about our worth and value um, that lead people to to do really strange and crazy things uh, to try to create this false narrative of an online life that meets or matches nothing that's actually happening in their real life. It's quite depressing. And, and I have two children that I have to decide how and when and where are they allowed to even participate uh, in that process, which is just very scary to me as well yeah i was actually going to bring that up with you as uh as a father and how that impacts you uh in in your daily life knowing that your your children are you know potentially exposed to this sort of uh, madness of society and what you have to do to protect them you know in any way you can 
Yeah, and you know, it, it's a double-edged sword uh, in, in the sense that um, I watched them go on to um, different platforms to connect with their friends al- already, right? During the pandemic, uh, they had birthday parties online and, and those kind of things. So where technology can be great, um, I also watched them uh, completely disappear into uh, kids YouTube and just get sucked in uh, to these weird interactions where they're following the lives of other families. I mean, we joke around here about one of my daughters having uh, her online family because she's constantly watching them. So, I mean, there's, there is some weirdness there about how much time do you give them? um, How much am I actually uh, paying attention to what they're watching? Uh, you know, trusting, trusting YouTube kids to actually moderate what's happening uh, on that platform seems a little silly. So those kind of things definitely pop up. And then they interact even on social media sites, right? I mean, they will send Snapchats to people, they flip and love the the filters on those things and uh, think that that's all amazing and great. Uh, if I if I post pictures of my children on Facebook, they want to know how many likes they have, right? Like they're they're all right, and that's not something that I typically am like. Oh my God, we have like a hundred likes. Doesn't tend to be something I pay attention to, but they already know that that means something, right? Like through their own process of of watching things and just participating in our world, they're already asking those questions and and finding value in their likes. I mean, they, they will role play, not just putting makeup on, but doing YouTube tutorials of putting makeup on and asking people to like and subscribe. I mean, it, it is insane to me watching them as, as part of their play reflect a world of online kind of social norms and values, um, you know, by the time they're, they're six years old and younger. It, it's it's scary that is quite terrifying yeah that at such a young age it's kind of like cigarettes right you know where you see kids smoking cigarettes at you know six years old seven years old uh you know it's kind of like that in a way uh at some point maybe that's that's how we will view it is is that you know this is such a this can be such a harm to a developing mind at six seven eight years old you know or, or and younger so I just wonder as a society, maybe that's that's what happens at some point because there will be a long-term effect to it. But we, that is yet to be seen, uh, of course, because this is all still so very, very, very new. All of it's so very, very new. I mean, like, I, I grew up, uh, you know, when I was in high school, MySpace was the thing, right? And even that's, <laughs> even that is, it was the Stone Age compared to where we are now. Yeah, it, it's definitely uh, only progressed I mean, I had a MySpace page as well, and and I never would have thought that Facebook was going to come in and and push them out. But what do you know? But you know, when we when we think about the impact on uh, a a prepubescent brain, uh, let alone just a, an adolescent brain, um, growing up in an environment where we are intentionally messing with the reward center of the brain, uh, an area of the brain that we understand very little about. Uh, it is scary to think um, how that will impact their relationships in the future. Uh, what, is it, what does it mean to have 
you know, an individual relationship and the rewards that come from from interacting uh, in person versus the kind of mass uh, impact that you can get from something like Facebook or other social media where uh, it's intentionally uh, impacting that part of the brain as often as possible, right? Just constant little uh, impulses to, to the reward center of the brain to keep you tied in. And the real world is far more boring than that. And not to mention, when you look at the brain brain science of it, like you were saying with the reward center, is that when when we apply what, when we are scrolling through our Facebooks or Instagrams or whatever, and you go to the top and the thing spins or whatever, that is almost like, it's like the slot machine. And that's, that's how your brain, it's the same sort of, uh, your brain's lining up the same when you see a slot machine and you see that. And so when we apply that brain science to like children, it's like, it's like, it's, that's hopefully at some point we see it like that. It's like them going to the casino and playing on the slots. Right. And like you said, at such a young age, what do they start to value then? I mean, imagine somebody at a young age starting to gamble, you know, that was started gambling at eight years old. What, what does that look like 10 years, 20 years later? And what, what impacts does that have on relationships? And it's that, like you kind of were saying, it's that, you know, instant gratification is, is really what could, you know, happen is that that's, and that's where we are in society right now is the instant gratification. So really, where does that, because the question is, what, what is that, when is that really, when do we draw the line? <laughs> I guess that's, that's kind of the theme of the, our show sometimes is where do we draw the line? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's really, it's a, it's a hard place to understand where we draw that line because there's also great benefit in being able to connect with people that, you know, instantaneously who are hundreds if not thousands of miles away um, to be able to regularly check in with friends and family those concepts are are really great and and really socially valid uh, except for they become a replacement for the actual relationships that are meaningful um, and the and the actual physical interaction that we have with the people we love and you know I I also am curious what, the next generations, um, you know, so my children's generation, but also generations between me and my children, kind of what um, their view of the world will be and how politics will play out. Because we we also see that social media, where originally we thought there was kind of be this world where everybody was exposed to everything and this was going to create uh, more enlightenment and, and more acceptance, there seems to be um, some uh, some false narrative in that in terms of we actually get stuck in echo chambers where we're only hearing from the people that agree with us. We're only looking for stories that tell um, the tale the way we want to hear it. And I, I think those things can potentially uh, continue to grow and escalate in a way that we create more division, more extremism, and more distrust of each other in our society uh, as we separate from the social world and, and kind of delve into this world of uh, only connecting to those who feel, act, and behave the same way I do. And who would know, as the world, as we become more interconnected, the more bubbles there are and more little universes pop up that we just exist in and don't communicate with the others outside of that bubble. It is quite interesting because we live in a very interconnected world. I can, you know, talk to someone or message somebody, you know, in, in Kenya about Liverpool 
and say that was a great game the other day, you know. But like you're saying, there's that, there, you know, applying that to politics, applying that to worldview. Yeah, uh, those those bubbles grow, and it's just like when a when you have when you blow on blow bubbles too quickly, you know that you know it goes, <laughs> you know how it, how it kind of just forms littler bubbles or whatever. So, mm-hmm. and that's just kind of what we're doing is just kind of just we're we're going too hard on it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, that was the thing. You know, when you go back to what what you're saying, you know, it's great that we do have this interconnectedness in, in throughout the world. It's it's great that. I could get someone's point of view in Australia or, you know, Northern Ireland or something or whatever. But I just wonder, I wonder what, you know, and that's the question I have to ask to, to people listening as well. Think about how many people on your Facebook, Facebook friends or Instagram that you actually talk to on a regular basis, face to face. Or at least online a little bit that you actually interact with in some way. Cause I bet it's quite interesting what you might find out when you ask yourself that question. Cause I just, be, <laughs> I think about that time to time. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we know from surveys that over the last 50 years, the average human has fewer and fewer what we consider close relationships. Um, it's becoming more and more common for people to have less than a handful of close friendships. And and yet we tell ourselves that we're more interconnected than we've ever been before. But but yet uh, our connection to the world, to each other, uh, is becoming smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, we don't interact with our neighbors. We, we don't see um, people with different viewpoints from us. Uh, and we intentionally separate ourselves from them. And I, I think that that is a really telling statistic that as we um, have built all of this technology around uh, communication and sharing with one another, uh, we actually connect less uh, and have fewer friendships than we did prior to any of this. Prior to any any other generation, you know, any generation before. Absolutely. You would know your next door neighbor. You would know the people around you in your immediate neighborhood. Now it's just kind of, I'm worried that I'm going to disagree with them on something and it's usually with politics and that's, that can be scary. And I think that's the thing is we run to our corners when we feel scared. We don't, we, we instead of, you know, c- coming out of those shells, we run and hide underneath them and flight. We, we go with the flight, not to say that you f- should fight anybody. I'm just saying <laughs> that, uh, and some people may, but that, that we come out of the shells and out, out of, our, out of the darkness and yeah. And, hopefully little by little, you know, we think about that more as a society around us that, that they're, we're all in this community together and we're all in our little individual communities as well together, immediate communities. And we should all find value in that and just kind of expand that through the rest of the world. Yeah. I'm curious what it's going to take for us to be able to, to start developing relationships again, uh, outside of, kind of these little bubbles that we're talking about. And, you know, I, I think you're right that we we have become scared of one another. I, I think that's really evident in Seattle. When when people talk about the, the Seattle freeze, um, I, I think that's really a reaction of people not wanting to offend each other. And part of, part of that falls on 
the the PC conversation that we've had in the past about, you know, being scared that you're going to say something that offends somebody. And so you just say nothing at all. Um, or when you do that, you actually, you know, when you start to talk, talk to somebody that you're afraid to offend them, but you may actually say something offensive in the end anyway, because you're telling them their story. Right. Mm. I think there, there, there's that factor as well that, that you're, you know, we're so scared that, you know, we say the wrong thing, but we actually end up, doing the wrong saying the wrong thing (laughs) yeah i I definitely think that there's elements of that kind of self-perpetuating process but at the same time how do we and this is an honest question to people how how do we get to a point where um we stop assuming the worst of people until they prove otherwise and are able to have open and honest conversations about how we feel about things and on on the other hand is why are some of the things that we feel like we have to care so much about um, even a part of our daily conversation, right? Why, why do I give a fuck what gender you identify with or or who you want to sleep with, right? Like, why, why do those issues, why do social issues dominate so much of our conversation or, or space in our head anymore? Um, because there's a lot more to life than kind of the the political firestorm that we've created around us. And I, I do think that we have to get away from that dominating uh, our conversations, our, our perspectives, kind of what drives us in life, and get back to things that actually matter, like just spending time with family um, and the people we care about, maybe enjoying nature, going to a baseball game, I don't know, going to a fucking lake it doesn't really matter there's other things in life that that are more meaningful and i think we uh have really gotten bogged down in this idea that we have to constantly uh be on guard and participating in some social movement at all times and and where i think it's important for us to talk about those those issues i don't think that it has to drive every relationship we have uh my my neighbor is a conservative is all hell. Like it, it's clear and evident. Like there have been things said that, you know, make me cringe. Uh, but that doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, he looks, he looks out for my kids when cars are driving around the corner and uh, my kids love his dog and his dog loves my kids, right? Like there are things about the guy that just make him a human and, and one that's really kind to of my kids. Does he have an issue with, uh, you know, Gender pronouns? Yep. Yep. He does. Do I have to talk to him about that? No, I don't. Uh, And I don't need to. Um, So I I think that's part of kind of uh, this trolling idea that we're constantly looking to troll people instead of just build relationships around uh, more meaningful things. And I think with that, it's so true. It's just sometimes we just don't have to say something. We just don't have to. You just don't. You just don't need to. And I think what's important in that in that question, and it's maybe it's a start, and it's not the answer to the question, but redefining what family values mean and how that relates to community values. And for so long, family values has meant you know Christianity and you know the nuclear family, so to speak, the, the you know the husband, wife, three kids, whatever. No, family values is exactly what you're saying earlier: is having that quality time with the people that you love. And family doesn't necessarily mean the people that, you know, that, that are blood with you. It could be your neighbor. It could be your, your best friend. It could be your, 
whoever, <laughs> you know, somebody that's important to you. And that in the end kind of uh, relates to community values as well. And that kind of just, you know, blooms from there. So maybe that's the start is just redefining what that means because we get to, we get to do that. Yeah. And I think that that idea of community values uh, resonates a lot with me and, and the idea that we, we seem to want to fight over all of these kind of issues of my values versus your values. And we forget to just take care of each other, right? Like actually just care for somebody, you know, it's as simple as saying hello to people, right? Um, seeing somebody in need and, and helping them uh, in an, it doesn't take that much to, to do small acts of kindness um, every day. And and I just, I really feel, and this relates to social media because I, I really believe that social media is the culprit of this creation of um, us versus them. Just this radical viewpoint uh, and the ability to, to constantly be at odds with one another. You know, just you look at the thread of your local news channel and the hate uh, that spews out is yeah you get you have to smoke a pack of cigarettes before you get on there <laughs> yeah. yeah for real like give me a couple shots and some some fucking parliaments and I'll be a happy man well no I'm not gonna be a happy man but maybe I can get through you could cope with it better three or four three or four postings I mean it is just uh, insanity and and I think that mentality has has infiltrated our daily lives in ways that impacts our ability uh, to have meaningful conversations and to treat one another with just simple kindness. And that's what it is in the end, simple kindness. Well, Sean, it has been a pleasure to talk about the world again. Uh, it's been a little bit of a break. Uh, so it's been great. It's been great, you know, sitting down again. So back to the swing of things. So what are you looking forward to uh, in the next two months before we get together again? <laughs> well, one, I'm hoping that it's more often than, than every two months. Uh, Cause uh, it is nice to be back shooting the shit with you. And, uh, and I, I've, I've, I've missed it. So it's nice to have that back. Uh, I've been talking about getting to a sea wolves game for what, six months now. Uh, yeah, and, and, and we finally have our chance and we're doing that. So I am, I'm really looking forward to that. And th that is really the, the biggest thing for me. I, I got a, a gnome in the mail today that I'm also looking forward to, uh, getting up on my, uh, outside tree. Uh, it, uh, it's pretty awesome. It's a, it's a gnome flipping you off saying, go away. Which fits oh, yes. right into it fits right in. <laughs> fits right in. Does it so, is it really flipping you off too? Yeah, the gnome's flipping you off. Oh, that is awesome. That is somebody really... tried to steal my gnome. Levon, somebody just walked. Yeah, I, I I would have too. No, not that gnome. Somebody walked into my yard and just tried to steal my simple garden gnome that sits in my garden. Just walked in my yard, tried to steal it as we were watching them, broad fucking daylight. Well, stealing people's gnomes is, it's questionable with community values. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so Steven actually hooked me up with a, a gnome that I can hang on the tree so that they can't steal it. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I'd have to say flipping if, if people I, off, yeah. saying "go away." If I saw that, you'd have to turn around. You, you just do. That's that's the laws of society. Yeah. Is if you see a gnome flipping you off, saying "go away," don't steal my gnome. You can't. You just can't. It, it just that's just a law. That's that's the social <laughs> law. Yeah. So, so anyway, I'm I'm looking forward to to putting that up, and hopefully, uh, because this person lives in my neighborhood, so routinely walks by my house. Uh, so I'm looking forward to hopefully catching them seeing the gnome out there for them in particular <laughs> i love how this just fits right in with everything that we that we that we talked about today <laughs> at hey, least you're not I, doing it online I will, <laughs> I will say yeah one i'm not doing it online and two i have very deliberate relationships with my neighbors um you know even the conservative guy i already talked about i also have a close enough relationship with another neighbor that i got fresh uh, prawns right out of the sound yesterday and uh and our next door neighbors we take each other's garbage cans out we chat they're good people so you know i'm not telling i'm not telling everybody to fuck off just people that want to steal my 15 dollar garden no well anybody that gets you prawns man that, that that's a relationship worth worth uh keeping around for good i agree i agree and I'm also looking forward to the best cider in the world. I believe that is what you promised. So it's one of the best ciders in the world because there is another cider that does compete with this one. And we could have a whole podcast episode about that. But this uh, cider that's at this brewery that we're, we're going to before the match, you know, because we gotta got to have a few pints before the match, uh, is, is a very good cider. It's actually shilling. It's a blackberry pear cider. And the other one, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The other one that I, I'm talking about is uh, is called it's like an apple pie cider, and it's from a from a brewery over in uh, in Kenwick, I think, and it is absolutely mm. delicious. So those are my two ciders, best ciders of all time, and that is what I'm looking forward to, and also SeaWolves game, and I've been you know I've been watching these uh, videos on YouTube about uh, what society would look like in today's world, like back in the 1960s. And I just think about it in, in the context of our, of our uh, conversation today. It's just like, it's just far out there, man. It's just like, if you ever get the chance to look that up, look up, what did people in the 1960s think the future was going to look like? It is, yeah, it's, it's a trip. So, but anyway, yes, SeaWorld's game, you know, summer coming up. Hopefully 4th of July is a big old party. Hell yeah. Independence Day. Steven, what are you looking forward to, man? Uh, well, speaking of 4th of July, we're going camping for that weekend with a group of friends in, like, Okanagan, so that'll be fun. Other than that, awesome. friends hosting a housewarming party because he moved in literally a block away from us, so we'll get to hang out with him and some friends. And then climbing climbing with nice, my right. cousin this weekend will be fun. That's That's amazing for me, too. One hand feeds the other. Yeah, it's cool to see those relationships build. And speaking of family, it's pretty incredible stuff. Makes you feel good. Well, good stuff. Awesome. We'll be back next week. Uh, you know, maybe a week to us is two months. I don't know. No, we'll be back <laughs> next week. <laughs> so yeah. with that, Sean, anything else? No, sir. I look forward to it next week. All right. Well, this has been Trickle Up Politics. Sean and Levon. Again, we're back. See y'all later. Woo woo! And Steven. Woo!